Thank you, Joseph. Now, uh, as yeah, we're going to get to the great conversion, but you need some backstory before we get there. So, can I encourage you to turn to Daniel? Look up the book of Daniel in your Bible. We're going to need a little while to find it, perhaps. It's, uh, it's one of the smaller ish Bibles, about kind of uh, 60, 75, 60% of the way through your Bible. Uh, if you get to Ezekiel, Daniel comes after Ezekiel. Now, I wonder as you're looking at our list of great conversions, whether you're able to start to guess who it is that we're going to be meeting over the next couple of months. Uh, I, I'm about to give away who today's is with the book of Daniel, perhaps you've already guessed. But I just from that picture, the first one in the top left-hand corner, anyone who doesn't already know, as in who's guessed from the picture, has anyone been able to guess who today is? Sorry? Yeah, yes, eating the corn that's left over. Certainly very beast-like character. Does that give anyone a hint? Nebuchadnezzar, very good. Or uh, as we were in Bible study one week and uh, a girl who'd not been a Christian for very long was reading for us and she said, who's this man, Nebuchadnezzar? And so forevermore, um, that's... That's kind of how we've known him, Nebuchadnezzar. We, we're doing stories of great transformation, great conversions. I was trying to think of an illustration of an example from our everyday life of somebody who's undergone this kind of transformation. I, I can show you in one picture, I think, one of the most incredible people in the transformation they have undergone that I can think of. This man, Christian Bale, those are all photos of him. None of it is CG, none of it is a fat suit, right? So you compare the second along the top to the third along the top to then the fourth picture. Apparently, between The Machinist and the screenplay for Batman Begins was a total of six weeks. So photo number three to photo number four was a total of six. Now, that's a great, great conversion. I mean, that's pretty fantastic and a little bit horrifying and a man who's very committed to it. There's all sorts of stories. Jim Carrey, I mean, I had to pick famous people, right, because they're, they're the only ones I can find the stories of easily. He went from a no-name nobody to in the space of one year creating not one, not two, but three of the greatest classic movie masterpieces of all time. You know the ones I'm speaking of, right? Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, The Mask, and Dumb and Dumber. I mean, wow! All in one year. That's quite something. Over the next eight weeks, we're going to hear some great conversion stories, not of the personal transformation, not of rags to riches, but of individuals who came into relationship with God. Eight true stories from the Bible that are going to teach us, I think, some quite astonishing things. I started this week scratching my head. What on earth are we going to learn from the story of Nebuchadnezzar? By the end of it, I was very excited. I've got six lessons for us to learn, so all sorts of things to pull out. Now, here's the aim of this series. We, we've got four things we want to achieve through sharing these great conversions with you. The first is to encourage you, for us together to be encouraged as we see that God can and does work in all sorts of people. And we're going to see, it's not even just kind of the bad people, it's not the worst of the worst, although he does work in those, but even people who you might think don't need God to work in their lives. Right, the good, the bad and the ugly. I'll let you decide which is which. I want to be encouraged. Second aim is we want to learn. All of these characters come to God in very different ways. 
We want to learn about the different paths that God uses to bring people to himself. Now, there's some things that they all have in common, and yet they are so very different. We want to be encouraged. We want to learn. Thirdly, we want to be challenged. There's some very confronting things in these stories, and particularly confronting in terms of what people around them do. How is it that you and I will be as bold as the people in these stories? to bring our friends, our neighbours, our loved ones to Christ. There's going to be very profound challenges along the way. And fourthly then, we want to grow in hunger. <laughs> we, we haven't finished yet, hungry all year, remember? You're going to be sick of it by the end of the year. We want to hunger, and the sort of hunger that we want to produce with this series is for God to do this sort of work among us. To see in the lives of those around us the sort of great conversions that we see in the Bible. All right, want to be encouraged, want to learn, want to be challenged and want to hunger. All right, well today, Nebuchadnezzar. Now before we get to the great conversion, I want to teach you about this man. I want to, I want to give you a couple of backstories, if you like, a bit of context to help us understand who he was, what he was like, so that the conversion will mean all the more to us. Now, I hope you've got Daniel open. Come to Daniel chapter 1. We're going to skim over the first three chapters and then we're going to have chapter 4 read for us. Right, that's that's the, the kind of the shape of what we're doing. Daniel chapter 1 and verse 1. Here's the context for this man, Nebuchadnezzar. In the third year of the reign of King Jehoiakim king of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon came to Jerusalem and laid siege to it. The Lord handed King Jehoiakim of Judah over to him, along with some of the vessels from the house of God. Nebuchadnezzar carried them to the land of Babylon, to the house of his God, and put the vessels in the treasury of his God. The king ordered Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and from the nobility, young men with all these sorts of things, down at the bottom of verse 4, he was to teach them the Chaldean language and literature, the king assigned them daily provisions from the royal food and from the wine he drank. They were to be trained for three years and at the end of that time, they were to attend the king. Nebuchadnezzar ruled Babylon at a time when God had warned Judah that if they didn't repent of their sin, he was going to bring discipline on them. And it would be swift and it would be terrible and they didn't repent and so God brought Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. He captured Judah, he took the king, and you know, he's, he's kind of his modus operandi, his, his way of working. He'd go and find the, the nobility from the land that he conquered, take their youth, take them back to Babylon, and indoctrinate them in Babylonian ways. That, that was his kind of subversive way of undermining any chance of rebellion back at home. I've got your kids as my hostages, and by the time you get them back, they're going to be Babylonians. They're not going to be yours anymore. Nebuchadnezzar, as far as we know, was an absolute power-mad tyrant. He, ha he was able to. He was a complete dictator. His word was law. In fact, at times he will set himself up as a god. His word was supreme. You live, you died based on what he said. One day, Nebuchadnezzar woke up and he was absolutely freaking out. <laughs> he woke up in... in, in complete fear for his life he was scared he was startled he was uncertain and he needed someone to help him because he'd had a dream 
I take it it was a special dream, right? I mean, it wasn't just a cheese dream. It wasn't just, oh, I, I, I dreamed a bit something a bit strange last night. No, have a look with me at chapter 2 and verse 1. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him and sleep deserted him. The king gave orders to summon the magicians, mediums, sorcerers and Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. They came and stood before the king and he said to them, I have had a dream and I'm anxious to understand it. All right, fair enough so far. You guys, you're meant to be the, the soothsayers. You're meant to be the ones with access to the gods. You're meant to be the ones who can tell me the meaning of my dream, so tell me. And the, the Chaldeans, verse 4, they spoke to the king. May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream and we will give you the interpretation, right? The king replied to the Chaldeans, my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you'll be torn limb from limb and your house is made a garbage dump. Hang, hang on a second. <laughs> anyone had dreams last night? Anyone, anyone had that you remember? All right, there's, there's at least one or two. I don't know what you dreamt last night. I'm really sorry. I, I, I wonder if it was a wonderful, like... Oh, one of those you wake up from and you try and get back to. You have those ones? The terrible ones you want to forget? I don't know what you dreamt. Most of us don't know. Nebuchadnezzar, not just the interpretation, tell me the dream. Oh, and if you don't, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to raise your house. I'll probably kill your family with it while I'm at it. Well? They say, verse 7, a second time, may the king tell the dream to his servants and we will make known that you, you can't just expect us to tell you the dream. I mean, just tell us that bit. We'll tell you the interpretation. The king replied, verse 8, I know for certain you're trying to gain some time because you see that my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there's one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. Tell me the dream and I will know that you can give me its interpretation. Now, utterly irrational or maybe it isn't <laughs> I'm convinced that you guys are a bunch of liars and if you come to tell me that you've got so-called access to the gods well then you should be able to tell me your dream right my, my dream if you can't I believe that you're lying to me verse 10 the Chaldeans answered the king no one on earth can make known what the king requests consequently no king however great and powerful has ever asked anything like this of any magician medium or Chaldean you kind of caught us out here what the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortal. I mean, we claim to have access to them, but not that good. I mean, we don't have the VIP pass. Because of this, listen to what sort of a man Nebuchadnezzar was. Because of this, the king became violently angry and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. You're in the room or not? Irrelevant. Kill them. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed. So they searched for Daniel and his friends. Now Daniel and his friends were some of these Jewish noble youth who'd been brought out of Judah into Babylon, spent three years being trained and taught and fed and clothed. You think of the investment in all of those wise men. Think of the political ramifications to execute the youth of the nobility of all the various countries you've conquered. 
Think of the administrative implications, that you are going to destroy your entire government. I don't care, says Nebuchadnezzar. You won't tell me my dream, you're all dead. He's violent, he's irrational, he's so used to getting his own way that if they will not do it, he's just going to kill them. Now, Daniel and his friends, they go, they pray to God, they say, well, hang on a second, just slow down everyone, there is a God in the heavens, he does give dreams and interpretations, Daniel goes, prays, he comes back to the king and he says, look, king, God was kind enough to reveal to me the dream and its interpretation, can I tell it to you? And the king goes, yes, please do. So verse 31 of chapter 2, Daniel says, Your Majesty, as you were watching, suddenly a colossal statue appeared. That statue, tall and dazzling, was standing in front of you. Its appearance was terrifying. The head of the statue was pure gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its stomach and thighs were bronze. Its legs, excuse me, were iron. Its feet were partly iron, partly clay. As you watched, a stone broke off without a hand touching it, struck the statue on its feet of iron and fired clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were shattered and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away, not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the statue became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Would you have guessed it? We'll tell you its interpretation, Your Majesty. You are the King of Kings. The God of Heavens has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and glory. Wherever people live, or wild animals, or birds of the sky, He's handed them over to you and made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold. Now, lots of kingdoms are going to come after you. Those are the, the other kind of things. Eventually, they're all going to be destroyed and God himself will set up a kingdom that will be eternal. That's the boulder that destroys human kingdoms and lasts forever. And of course, we know the Lord Jesus comes. That's exactly what he does. He sets up God's kingdom that lasts forever. Nebuchadnezzar says, verse 46, King Nebuchadnezzar fell face down, worshipped Daniel and gave orders to present an offering and incense to him. The king said to Daniel, your God is indeed God of gods, Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries, since you were able to reveal this mystery. And he promotes Daniel and puts him in charge of everything. And you think, oh, that's good. Oh, I mean, can you imagine one of your friends that you're praying for one day? Your God he really is the one true God. He's above all gods, isn't he? You'd be thinking to yourself, oh, are we there? Let me tell you the second story about King Nebuchadnezzar. Chapter 3 and verse 1. Think the very next thing that happens. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet high and 90 feet wide. He set it up on the plain of Jura in the province. He sent word to assemble all the administration. Verse 4, a herald loudly proclaimed people of every nation and language, you are commanded... When you hear the sound of the music, you are to fall face down and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. <laughs> he had the vision where he is the head of gold on the statue. 
And so he thinks, well, you ripper, I'm going to make that statue. I'm going to build it entirely out of gold, for I will reign. And you will worship me. And if you don't, just kind of staying true to form, I'll kill you, right? Uh, One-track mind, Nebuchadnezzar, he kind of he didn't bother mucking around. There's no, he's just, I'll kill you. Now, the Jews, of course, Daniel and his three friends, anyone remember their names? Very good. These are the Sunday school stories for those who attended Sunday school, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? Uh, does anyone remember their Jewish names? Because that was their Babylonian names. Ooh. Yeah, all right, I'll let you look it up. It's back in chapter 1. Do it another time, not right now. They're standing there, and they're standing amongst this multitude. You can imagine them all bow down. And they're just standing there. Kind of stand out a little bit, don't you? Now, some of their rivals take the opportunity to come up to King Nebuchadnezzar. Excuse me, oh great, wonderful and majestic king. Did you not order that at the sound of the music everyone should bow down and worship? Yes. And uh, just remind us a little bit, did you not order that if anyone didn't, <clears throat> what was it you were going to do to them again? Oh, you're going to kill them. Oh, well, I hate to bring bad news, king, but those four, actually Daniel wasn't there. I wonder where Daniel was. He wasn't there at the time. Those three, they're not bowing down. So the king gets a little bit cross. He brings them forward. He says, what is going on here? Are you going to bow? And they say, well, no. Have a look at verse 13, chapter 3 and verse 13. In a furious rage, Nebuchadnezzar gave orders to bring in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. These men were brought before the king. Nebuchadnezzar asked them, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, is it true that you don't serve my gods or worship the gold statue I've set up? Now, if you're ready, when you hear the music, right here, right now, give us a little bow, give us some worship and all well and good. But if you don't, the furnace is right there and you're going in it. Listen to the reply, verse 16. Oh, oh, to have this sort of boldness, to stand before the tyrant like this and say, verse 16, they replied to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to give you an answer to this question. Don't, don't bother the musicians. If the God we serve exists, then he can rescue us from the furnace of blazing fire. He can rescue us from the power of you, the king. But even if he doesn't rescue us, we want you as king to know, we will not serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. If he's real, then why on earth would we bow to you? Now, Nebuchadnezzar gets a little bit cross, as you could imagine. He orders the furnace to get stoked, right? bring out the leaf blowers, tie them up, throw them in. So hot was the furnace that the men who brought them to the edge to throw them in died they get thrown in and all of a sudden nebuchadnezzar freaks out again it wasn't a dream this time he's peering into it kind of like these lights like kind of he's peering into the furnace and he goes hey how many men did we just throw in and they're like well three he says well, why can i see four in there and why on earth are they walking around and why does the fourth one look like a son of the gods? He says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, come out. And they do. 
and they make it out and they walk back over. I take it the ropes are gone, but not only were they unharmed, they were unsinged, right? They even had their eyebrows still, for crying out loud, right? Like the, the, the fire did nothing and the, they didn't even smell like smoke. At Nebuchadnezzar, what does he say? Chapter 3, verse 26. Nebuchadnezzar approached the door, he called them out, they came out of the fire. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar exclaimed, Praise to the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. He sent his angels and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They violated the king's command and risked their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I issue a decree that anyone of any people, nation or language who says anything offensive against the god of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego will be, insert standard punishment, torn limb from limb and his house made a garbage dump. There is no other God who is able to deliver like this. Oh, again, are, are you there, Nebuchadnezzar? I mean, what a display of God's power. You've just been told to your face that there is a God above you and you've had it proven in exactly what they said could happen. Our God rescued us. His power is greater than yours. Now, there's Nebuchadnezzar's backstory, right? He knows about God. He's not an, a, a disavowed atheist, right? Has no sense of God. No, who is he? Where is he? I don't care about God. Forget. No, no. He knows God is there. He's been a direct recipient of the power of God himself. And yet this arrogant, wicked, proud man needs to fall. And so let's hear his conversion as we have Daniel chapter 4 read for us. Now, I'm not sure who's down to read today. Who's going to read? Peter, you're going to read Daniel chapter 4 for us. Is that okay? Yeah. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Uh, it's on page 785. And it's Nebuchadnezzar's proclamation. King Nebuchadnezzar, to those of every people, nation and language who live on the whole earth, may your prosperity increase. I am pleased to tell you about the miracles and wonders the Most High God has done for me. How great are his mercies and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. The dream. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and flourishing in my palace. I had a dream and it frightened me while in my bed the images and visions of my mind alarmed me. So I issued a decree to bring all the wise men of Babylon to me in order that they might make the dream's interpretation known to me. When the magicians, mediums, Chaldeans and diviners came in, I told them the dream they could not make its interpretation known to me. Finally, Daniel named Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him, came before me. I told him the dream. Belshazzar, head of the magicians, because I know that you have the spirit of the holy gods and that no mystery puzzles you, explain to me the visions of my dream that I saw and its interpretation. 
In the vision to my mind, I was lying in bed. I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew large and strong. The top reached to the sky, and it was made visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on the food was food, on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it. The birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. As I was lying in my bed, I also saw the visions in my mind of a watch, uh, of my mind, a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven. He called out loudly. Cut down the tree and chop off its branches. Strip off its leaves and scatter the fruit. Let the animals flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share the plants of the earth with the animals. Let his mind be changed from that of a human and let him be given the mind of an animal for seven periods of time. This word is by decree of the watchers, and the decision is by command from the holy ones. This is so that the living will know that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms. He gives them to anyone he wants and sets the lowliest of people over them. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now Belteshah, Tell me its interpretation, because none of the wise men of my kingdom can make the interpretation known to me. But you can, because you have the spirit of the holy gods. Then Daniel, whose name is Belteshazzar, came st was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. The king said, Belteshazzar, don't let the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered, My lord... May the dream apply to those who hate you and its interpretation to your enemies. The tree you saw, which, was grew, which grew large and strong, whose top reached to the sky and was visible to the whole earth, and whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit and abundant, and on it food for all under the wild animal, where all the wild animals lived, and in its branches the birds of the sky lived. That tree is you, your majesty, for you have become great and strong, your greatness has grown and even reaches the sky and your dominion extends to the ends of the earth. The king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, cut down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump with its roots in the ground and with a band of iron and bronze around it in the tender grass of the field. Let him be drenched with dew from the sky and share food with the wild animals for seven periods of time. This is the interpretation, your majesty, and this is the decree of the Most High that has been issued against my lord, the king. You will be driven away from people to live with the wild animals. You will feed on grass like cattle and be drenched with dew from the sky for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. As for the command to leave the tree stump with its roots, your kingdom will be restored to you as soon as you acknowledge that heaven rules. Therefore, my advice seemed good to you, my king. Separate yourself from your sins by doing what is right 
and from your injustices by showing mercy to the needy. Perhaps there will be an extension of your prosperity. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months as he was walking on the roof of the royal palace in Babylon. The king exclaimed, Is this not Babylon the Great that I have built to be a royal residence by my vast power and my majestic glory? While the words were still in the king's mouth, a voice came from heaven, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is clear that the kingdom has departed from you. You will be driven away from people that live with the wild animals and you will, be feed, you will feed on grass like cattle for seven periods of time until you acknowledge that the Most High is ruler over human kingdoms and he gives them to anyone he wants. At that moment, the message against Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people. He ate grass like cattle and his body was drenched with dew from the sky until his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. But at the end of those days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, looked up to heaven and my sanity returned to me. Then I praised the Most High and honoured and glorified him forever, who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and he does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the time my sanity returned to me and my majesty and splendour returned to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisers and my nobles sought me out. I was re-established over the kingdom and even more greatness came to me now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt and glory, glorify the king of the heavens because all his works are true and his ways are just. He is able to humble those who walk in pride. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Peter. I think that one's got just about the worst names in it out of any of the uh, great conversions. So if you're up for another one, you'll be okay. What a story, eh? What a conversion. At the very moment of surveying his grandeur and his majesty, I mean, this is Babylon we're talking about. You know, the, the Hanging Gardens, one of the great wonders of the ancient world, the seven wonders of the world. He's, he's standing there surveying it all and madness befalls him. There, there, there are modern scientific terms. This, this is madness that is known to occur. Turns himself, thinking of himself as an animal and runs off. Eventually, God has mercy on him and eventually God brings him back. And what an end, hey? As he stands before the God that he had already met previously and he says, I praise, exalt and glorify the King of Heavens because his works are true, his ways are just and he's able to humble the proud. And that's the last word we hear of Nebuchadnezzar. We don't hear another thing about him in the whole Bible. That's the end of his great conversion. Now I want to draw out six lessons. Here they go. They're not in any particular order other than the order that they occurred to me in. Here's the first one. God can save anyone. You're going to hear that over and over and over again. Today we see that God can save a violent, angry, abusive man. 
that God can save a tyrant who is arrogant and proud. I mean, in his case, he was bloodthirsty. I don't know that there's necessarily many of those in our lives. But there are plenty of people who are completely self-absorbed, who even when God smacks them in the face, continue to be the same way. Babylon is held up in the rest of the Bible as the great enemy of God's people. It isn't just a neutral person, right? It isn't that Nebuchadnezzar was a a foreign king that we have no concern for. Babylon fights against God's people and Nebuchadnezzar was the epitome of Babylon. And yet, I praise and glorify and exalt the king of heaven. Lesson number one, God can save absolutely anyone. Lesson number two, for people like Nebuchadnezzar, salvation often comes through calamity. Now this isn't directly from this passage, okay? We're not drawing from this to say, well, it happens that way. But I can tell you that it so often happens this way. For the proud, for the arrogant, for those who stand up against God and think of themselves as utterly self-sufficient and utterly in control, it often requires a fall before they will come and seek God. Whether it's a personal problem that happens, a health failing, uh, getting kicked out, their business failing, losing their money, their livelihood, having family problems, having something happens, a tragic accident. I met a man at one of the previous churches I was at. In, uh, it was a Petersham, Petersham Anglican. Uh, there was a, board, a number of boarding houses just next door. Petersham has lots of people who are uh, the next best thing to homeless, right? And a man came into church one week, and he'd, he'd been coming for a few weeks. I went and sat with him, wanted to hear his story. Uh, it turns out he was a, a bona fide millionaire, right? Like a full-on, I have millions upon millions upon millions of dollars in property and finance and business. And the global financial crisis of 2009 literally wiped it all out. He pretty much overnight went from being the richest of the rich to being homeless. His family left him. He ended up in a boarding house in Petersham. And he said, it's pretty much the first time in my life I've ever walked through the doors of a church. I came looking for help. They, they ran a meal freezer. And I found myself staying. Now, I don't know that man, the rest of that man's story. I, I didn't stay any longer, but it took a fall to even get him to walk through the doors of the church. Now, I can also point out the importance of being there. People like this are generally extremely unpleasant. You don't necessarily want to be near them. You don't want to stay close to them. You don't want to be there. And yet, if and when that fall comes, to be the one who is still standing next to them will mean an awful lot. Lesson one, God can save anyone. Lesson two, for people like Nebuchadnezzar, it's often through calamity. Lesson number three, God's ambassadors, those who are standing there at the time of fall, must have boldness to speak. Can you imagine being Daniel as the king tells you the dream? And you know what it means, right? 
This tyrant who abuses power, who has people torn limb from limb and turns their house into a garbage dump on a whim, this man, you know, is about to be deposed of his power, is about to become nothing, and you're standing there thinking, I reckon his brain is going at a thousand kilometres an hour, right? They're trying to think of something to say that's vaguely placating, other than having to speak the truth. That moment he just thinks, oh no. What did Daniel say? Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 19. Daniel was stunned for a moment and his thoughts alarmed him. I can picture that scenario for us. To be in a moment where you think to yourself, actually, this is it. I've been waiting for the moment to say to this person, God condemns your sin. God calls on you to repent. God invites you back into relationship, but you've got to leave your... I can imagine that moment coming, and I can imagine the fear and the trembling and the brain kind of trying to come up with an excuse why I ought not to say that right now. God's ambassadors must have the boldness to speak that Daniel had. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, it was kind of made a little bit easy. Nebuchadnezzar had a direct warning from God, right? He he had this vision, presumably from God, to tell him, dude, you're done. So Daniel's job was sort of easier because of that direct warning. But actually, I'll tell you what, you and I, we carry with us an even greater warning than Daniel's for Nebuchadnezzar. Acts chapter 17, don't look it up, I'll read it for you. Acts 17 verse 30. As Paul is speaking to this crowd, he says, Therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God now commands all people everywhere to repent because he has set a day when he's going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he has appointed. He has provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. Nebuchadnezzar had that direct warning in a vision from God. We carry the warning of judgment to come from God himself to every single person we meet. It's not that our friends around us, well, Nebuchadnezzar had it coming. Our people, they're okay. No, God's ambassadors, we must have the boldness of Daniel. If we don't, we are going to fail at that job. Oh, to have Daniel's heart. Oh, to have Daniel's boldness. Boldness. I don't know if he was bald or not, but he was certainly bold. And you know what? Sometimes when we are bold as ambassadors, when we do speak, even at that moment, God may not use it there and then to change them. I take it Nebuchadnezzar didn't listen to Daniel. Certainly not enough to change. We might have that moment. We might utter the message from God. We might call on them to repent and they still go, eh. I mean, that was Nebuchadnezzar. He had the vision, he was told the meaning, and still he was full of himself. As he's walking around, he exclaimed, is this not Babylon the Great that I have built by my vast power for my majestic glory? The word wasn't enough. God did his work. Now look, it may be true for us, okay? Boldness is called of us. We are urged to speak There's no guarantee that there and then it will do what we want it to do, but we must speak. Lesson number four. Madness is not a barrier to God's will. 
Isn't that interesting, right? Nebuchadnezzar lost his marbles completely. And that didn't stop God from doing his work. In fact, that was the thing that God used to do his work in Nebuchadnezzar. That's a small point, but it's worth mentioning. The gospel is for everyone. The same gospel for all people. You might well have loved ones who, who have dementia, have Alzheimer's, who, who cognitively you just have no idea who they are or where they are. The gospel is for them too. Lesson number five. Believing in God is not the same as having a relationship with God. Nebuchadnezzar believed in God. Quite strongly, I suspect. He calls Daniel at the moment where he has this terrifying vision. He says, well, your God's the one who does this for me, so let's get to it. But it's not the same as having a relationship with God. Nebuchadnezzar experienced God's direct power multiple times in his life. We might well have friends who fit that category, who are able to say genuinely, I experienced something of God. That does not equal relationship with God. Right, James chapter 2, even the demons believe in God and shudder. I mean, believing in God, that gets you nowhere. That's tricky, isn't it? We don't want to look at people and kind of be judgy of their salvation. Oh, I think you're saved, I don't think you're saved. It's a very tricky thing to do. But at the same time, we do need to be discerning. Please don't write people off. Oh, I don't need to tell them about Jesus because they're already religious. I don't need to tell them about Jesus because they already believe in God. I don't need to tell them about... No, preach the gospel to everyone. I've known people who had God in their life, who go to church, who are good people, who talk about God all the time. If God wills, God willing, you know, oh, as long as God wants it, it'll happen. And you sit down and ask them about Jesus and it becomes very clear, they don't know about the salvation for sin that comes through faith in him. They don't understand that there's a judgment day coming and that there's, like, it's just these basic gospel truths. No, no, but they talk about God all the time. You have to repent, give your life to Jesus, have a relationship with him. Okay, believing in God is not the same as having a relationship with God. And so, lesson number six, and Jesus is a big one, you and I, as we hunger for God's heart, as we heard that last week, as we go out with boldness to engage, to evangelize, to establish, to equip, as we go, we must go in the full, complete and utter certainty that God is in control. <laughs> that, that's the thing that will sustain us. And the whole way through this story, we, we didn't kind of pick the verses, but all the way through, God is the one who is working. From the very beginning in chapter 1, right, the Lord handed Judah over to him. Every single time these big events are happening, God is the one who is in control. In Judah, in Babylon, in Nebuchadnezzar, in Daniel, it doesn't matter. God is at work. And I'll tell you what, sometimes we get to see it. Nebuchadnezzar saw it, that fourth man in the furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and he was, he was like, man, you want a proof that God is saving these guys? There's a, a person that looks like a god in the midst of a furnace that should kill them. Like, sometimes you get to see it. And so often, we don't see it at the time. But it's true. 
It's true in all things. Our God is sovereign. Like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, we, we can go with the utter confidence that our God can save us. He can rescue us out of the flames. He can give us the boldness to stand before Nebuchadnezzar as Daniel did and preach the gospel. And even if he doesn't save us, he's still the God who will keep us into eternity. The worst they can do is kill this body. So as we see the great conversion of Nebuchadnezzar, can I leave with you that, that thought, that idea? God is working his purposes out and he calls us to join him. Will you go with the boldness of Daniel to go and seek and save the lost? Let's pray, shall we? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, the first of our great conversion stories, for the way that you worked in a man that really... It's astonishing to think that you saved him. And Father, this is you. This is your work. You take the proud and the arrogant and you humble them. You take those who otherwise would have no hope and you fill us with hope. And so, Father, please take us and use us. Make us as bold as Daniel, as trusting as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and as humble as you made Nebuchadnezzar. And we ask this in Jesus' name.